Explicit content is found in this episode. Listener discretion is advised. We would like to welcome to the club our most recent Patreon supporters. Lena Crowley, Lena C., Kimberly B., Rebecca M., Eloise S., and Amber B. As a reminder, as a patron, you get access to ad-free episodes along with patron-only episodes. And if you subscribe just a little more a month, you get access to True Crime Fan Club Prime. A monthly episode is released based on the topic of your choosing. So head on over to patreon.com slash tcfcpodcast to learn more. Welcome back to the True Crime Fan Club Podcast. I'm your host, Lainey. Altimio Sanchez, later known as the Bike Path Rapist, had this to say during his sentencing. I just wanted to mention that whatever sentence I get today, I deserve. I know I'm going to be spending life behind bars, never to see the streets again. But I did these crimes, and I should pay for these crimes. Okay, on to the show. Altimio Sanchez was born in Puerto Rico on January 19, 1958. His parents already had one son and two daughters. When Altimio was two years old, his mother caught her husband in bed with a sex worker. So she moved the family to Miami, Florida. After a short time in Miami, the family moved to New York. Altimio's mother found a new boyfriend, and the family lived with him in his van. The boyfriend was physically abusive to Altimio's mother and sexually abusive to Altimio. Even after finding out about the sexual abuse that her boyfriend was committing against her young son, Altimio's mother still did not leave the man. She was too afraid. Eventually, though, she did move her family to Buffalo, New York, when Altimio was nine years old. His mother continued to date and would go on to have many more abusive boyfriends. Altimio's first rape attempt was during his senior year of high school in 1977. He was on Bidwell Parkway, close to Delaware Park, when he passed by a girl. He came up behind her, hit her on the head, laid on top of her, but did not penetrate her. Shortly after his first rape attempt, Altimio attacked a second girl in a similar fashion. On May 26, 1977, Altimio attacked his third victim in Delaware Park. He approached the woman while she was in her car. He showed her his knife, told her to get out of the car, and forced her into some bushes. While in the bushes, Altimio made the woman take off her clothes and lay on the ground. He then tied her hands, shoved a gag in her mouth, and proceeded to rape her. Altimio attacked another victim on July 18, 1977, in Buffalo. He walked up to a 19-year-old woman and showed her a gun. He told her to take her clothes off and lay on the ground. He began to rape her, then promptly stopped and forced her to perform oral sex on him while he held her at gunpoint. Altimio Sanchez didn't have a girlfriend until he met a woman named Kathy in college. The two started dating and she got pregnant. Altimio dropped out of college and got a job in a factory to support his family. The two were married on July 5th, 1980. They would go on to have two sons together. On April 14th, 1981, 
Altimio raped a 21-year-old woman in Delaware Park. The woman was attacked from behind with a knife. He held the knife to the victim's vagina, made her lay down, and told her to remove her clothes. Altimio raped the victim while she laid on the ground. A few days later, the victim saw Altimio at the mall with his family. She wrote down his license plate number and reported it to police. Police followed up with the license plate number and found one Wilfredo Caraballo. Wilfredo is Altimio's uncle. He had let Altimio borrow his car that day. Wilfredo, in an attempt to protect his nephew, lied to the police and told them that he had never loaned his vehicle out. On December 19, 1983, Altimio raped yet another 21-year-old woman in Delaware Park. He attacked the woman from behind and showed her his gun. He told her, if you scream, I'll blow your head off. Altimio made the woman lay down on the ground and take her clothes off. He then pulled the victim's knitted tube over her head and put her shirt over her face. Then, he raped her. Altimio raped a 22-year-old woman on April 3, 1984, at a railroad overpass. After passing the victim, Altimio attacked the woman from behind with a gun. He made the victim lay on the ground so he could remove the victim's clothes and cover her eyes with a coat. He then fondled the woman from behind and raped her on the railroad stairs. Although there are no details about a rape he committed on August 15, 1984 in Evans, Altimio Sanchez would later be linked to this rape via DNA. On June 12, 1986, a 44-year-old woman was jogging in Delaware Park when Altimio came up behind her and started strangling her with a cord. He told her to shut up and walk with him and pushed her into a bush. Altimio told the victim to remove her shorts and panties. He put her shorts over her head, lifted up her shirt, pulled down her bra, and fondled her. Next, Altimio made the victim lay down so he could get on top of her and rape her. When he finished raping the victim, he pulled on the cord around her neck until she passed out. On July 14, 1986, a 17-year-old girl walked to summer school in Hamburg. On her walk to school, Altimio attacked the girl from behind. He wrapped a cord around her neck, drug her through the brush, then made her run around 300 yards with him. He told her to lay down and then take off her shirt. Then Altimio took his own shirt off and put it over her head to act as a blindfold. He told her to bend over, pulled his pants down, then raped her. Out of nowhere, Altimio stopped. She believes he did not finish. He pushed her into the mud and told her to stay there for 20 minutes or he would kill her. Altimio took off running and she put her clothes back on. In 1986, a man named Anthony Capozzi started hanging around a coffee shop near Delaware Park. A police officer noticed Anthony and his strange behavior. Anthony had schizophrenia. He became a suspect and was placed in a lineup. Three Delaware Park rape victims identified Anthony as their attacker a year after the rapes. Although there was no physical evidence, Anthony Capozzi was convicted of two rapes and acquitted of a third that were committed in Delaware Park. He was sentenced to 11 to 35 years in prison. With an innocent man in prison, 
Altimio Sanchez was able to continue his serial rapist career as a bike path rapist. A 16-year-old girl was walking along a path in Buffalo on June 10, 1988, when Altimio walked past her. He then came up behind the victim and wrapped a cord around her neck. He took her about 600 feet off the path to a junkyard and made her take off her clothes. Altimio made the victim tape her eyes with duct tape. Then he put the duct tape on her mouth. He raped the victim, then ran off. On May 1st, 1989, a 15-year-old girl was on a path in Buffalo when Altimio attacked her. He wrapped the rope around her neck and made her walk behind an abandoned building. Altimio made the victim tape her eyes shut with white surgical tape. Then he pulled her pants down and raped her. When he was finished, he forced the victim to take her shirt off. Then he ran off. On the 24th of August of 1989, a 14-year-old Amherst girl was on her way to cheerleading practice when Altimio wrapped a rope around her neck, pushed her into a fence, and carried her over it. He made the victim sit down, then ripped off her bra and pants. Altimio took the laces out of the girl's shoes and used them to tie her hands behind her back. He then wrapped medical tape around her wrist and placed some over her eyes and mouth. Altimio raped the victim as she laid on the ground. He pulled the rope around her neck until she passed out. Then, he ran away. A 32-year-old secretary went for a walk on a path near where another victim had been attacked on May 31, 1990. Altimio raped the woman and left her in some brush. On September 29, 1990, 22-year-old University of Buffalo student Linda Yalem was pulled off a bike path by Altimio. Just as he had done so many times before, he took her several yards off the path, pulled her bra and pants down, and put her shirt over her head. Altimio then duct-taped her mouth. This time, though, his victim fought back, causing Altimio to become enraged and completely lose control. He ended up strangling Linda that evening. Her body was found the next day in some brush. In 1991, Altimio was arrested for soliciting an undercover police officer posing as a sex worker. On October 30, 1992, 32-year-old Mary Jane Mazur went missing. Mary Jane was a sex worker, and Altimio picked her up. While the two had sex in the back seat, Altimio pulled out his rope and strangled Mary Jane to death from behind. He tied a plastic bag around her head to ensure she was really dead, then put her body in a garbage bag. He dumped her body on the edge of downtown Buffalo. She was found on November 22, 1992. On October 19, 1994, a 14-year-old girl walked to school in Buffalo. Altimio attacked the girl, ripped her clothes off, and made her lay down on the ground. He covered the victim's eyes and wrists with tape and placed pants over her eyes. Then he raped her. For the next 12 years, Altimio Sanchez did not rape or murder any woman. He was scared of getting caught. Instead, he visited sex workers two to three times a week. He was arrested a second time for soliciting an undercover police officer posing as a sex worker in 1999. At the beginning of September 2006, Altimio started riding the Clarence bike path in Buffalo two to three times a week. He was scouting for a new attack location. 
Inside, he had the urge and he needed to control someone, but he had no intention to kill. I'm going to pause the case right here so you can hear a word from our sponsor. Joan Diver was a 45-year-old nurse turned stay-at-home mom. Joan and her husband Stephen had four children together. Stephen was a professor at the University of Buffalo. On the morning of September 29, 2006, Joan dropped off her older children at school and her youngest at preschool and drove to the Clarence bike path to go for a run. At some point, Altimio attacked Joan the same way he had so many women before her from behind and with a rope. During the attack, Joan screamed and fought for her life. During the intense struggle, Joan hit her head on the ground a few times. Eltimio became furious when Joan fought back, just as he had before with his first victim, Linda Yalem. He once again totally lost control and ended up strangling her to death, but he did not rape her. Altimio Sanchez left the bike path with Joan's keys in his hand, drove to the mall, threw the rope in a dumpster, and bought himself a new shirt. At 12.42 p.m., Stephen Diver got a phone call from the preschool. Joan had not picked up their child. Steve knew right away that something had to be terribly wrong. Joan would never forget to pick up their children. He immediately called the Erie County Police to report his wife missing. After calling the police, Stephen headed home to see if Joan was there. She wasn't, so he headed to the Clarence Path parking lot. He knew Joan parked her car there when she went for a run. Joan's car was still in the parking lot. Stephen called the police again, a sinking feeling in his stomach, and asked for an officer to meet him in the parking lot. While waiting for the officer to arrive, Stephen went out on the path to look for Joan. Eleven minutes later, the officer arrived in the parking lot, but Joan's SUV was no longer there. Stephen had a glimmer of hope. He and the officer headed to the diver house to see if Joan was finally home. When they arrived, they discovered that she wasn't. At 2.30 p.m., Joan Diver's SUV was found parked on the side of a street about a mile southwest of the parking lot. Altimio Sanchez had returned and moved Joan's vehicle. After finding the vehicle, police believed Joan was injured somewhere on the bike path. Four search parties were sent to search for Joan. By the end of the night, there was still no sign of Joan Diver. Police brought Stephen in for questioning. They wanted to know everything that happened that day. The interview lasted for about six hours. By 5 a.m., Police no longer thought Joan was just injured. They would have found her by then. They switched their line of thinking. This was now a homicide case. Cadaver dogs were brought in, but the search was called off by 3 o'clock p.m. when there was still no sign of Joan. Against police advice, Stephen and friends went to search the bike path again. At 2.10 p.m., Joan's body was found in some foliage off the path. Her eyes were closed, and her face was covered in dirt, blood, and bruises. Her hair was matted and wet. Her shorts had been pulled down, 
and they hung from one leg. Her t-shirt was pulled up, and her sweatshirt was placed behind her torso. When the police arrived to the scene, they noticed that Joan had a purple line across her neck and one across her chin. The same two lines that all other bike path rapist victims had. After 12 years, it appeared the bike path rapist was back in action. The autopsy results showed that Joan had been strangled and also had received a blow to the head where her head hit the ground during the struggle. However, there was no sign of rape. The bike path rapist had never just killed a woman before. He always raped his victims. This new revelation made the police question whether this was actually the work of the bike path rapist or of a copycat. Instead, they focused their attention on Stephen. But Stephen had a solid alibi. He was at work, and many of his co-workers could place him there too. So the police had to keep searching for clues. Next, a detective swiped Joan's SUV for any sign of DNA. The driver's seat had been vacuumed and the steering wheel was wiped clean. This prompted a detective to swipe in places a criminal wouldn't think to wipe down, the rearview mirror and the ignition. After nine hours, the detective finished sweeping Joan's SUV. It took five weeks for the results to come back. There had been a drop of sweat on the ignition. The DNA from that swab matched the DNA from the bike path rapist. Now that the Erie County Police Department knew they were looking for the bike path rapist again, the sheriff decided to put together a task force. His first order of business was to contact the Amherst Sheriff and ask if he was willing to help with the case. The two agencies needed to share all the information they had on the bike path rapist if they wanted to solve the case. The Amherst Sheriff agreed, and the task force was created. The task force knew a few things from the bike path rapist's DNA. They knew the rapist slash killer was at least part Hispanic or Native American. They also knew he lost the ability to produce sperm between killing Mary Jane Mazur in 1992 and raping the 14-year-old in 1994. In order to lose the ability to produce sperm, the culprit had to have had a vasectomy, testicular cancer, or a serious ailment. The task force believed the culprit had most likely attacked women in other areas. They contacted America's Most Wanted, and they featured the case on the show in hopes that other police departments would see a connection in any of their cases. The task force started going through old files. They wanted to look into tips and past rape cases. While looking through past rape cases, they found many where the rapist had the same main objective as the bike path rapist. Detectives also found a tip from a man named Bob Bandish. Bob worked with Altimio at the American Brass Copper Mill. The tip came two weeks after Linda Yalem's murder. Bob had seen Altimio driving near where the 14-year-old Amherst girl had just been raped. He thought that was just coincidence until he saw Altimio on September 29, 1990, on the same bike path Linda had just been murdered on. After putting the pieces together, Bob called in the tip. At the time the tip was submitted, the police department took the tip seriously. Altimio Sanchez was called in for an interview, but he adamantly denied being at either scene. He agreed to let police check his work history and fingerprint him. Although police found out he had not been at work during any of the crimes, 
For some unknown reason, they chose not to bring him in for further questioning at that time. Next, the task force found the case file for the April 14, 1981 rape, where the victim later saw Altimio at the mall and reported the license plate. The force decided to go speak to the owner of the car, Wilfredo. While speaking to him, Wilfredo let it slip that he had let his nephew borrow the car that day. Wilfredo's nephew was none other than Altimio Sanchez. Detectives took a DNA swab from Wilfredo so they could see if there was a familial match to the bike path rapist. The results came back, and sure enough, there was a familial match. Wilfredo was either the first cousin or uncle of the bike path rapist. The police now needed Altimio's DNA to be 100% sure he was the bike path rapist. The task force started surveilling Altimio. After several attempts to get his DNA, the force was able to snatch a couple drinking glasses, silverware, and napkins from a restaurant he was eating at. The force put in a rush order on the DNA test, and they had the results back the next day by 5 p.m. Altimio Sanchez was indeed the bike path rapist. All that was left for the detectives to arrest Altimio was to apprehend and detain him. So they devised a plan. They would arrest Sanchez as he arrived home from work on the morning of January 15, 2007. The team headed out in three cars, but they soon found out that Altimio had a doctor's appointment and would not head straight home from work. One car went to the Sanchez home to wait for Altimio's wife, Kathy, and the other two cars tailed Altimio. After the two tailing cars realized that Altimio had become aware that he was being followed, they flashed their lights, pulled him over, and arrested him on the street. The detectives at the Sanchez home waited for Kathy to come outside so they could talk to her. When she came outside, the detectives approached her and asked if they could talk. She invited them inside. Once inside, the detectives informed Kathy that her husband was the bike path rapist. She, of course, was in shock. Next, the detectives asked her to come to the station to talk. She was there for nine hours. At the end of the interview, the police felt confident that Kathy had no idea that her husband was a serial rapist and murderer. After arresting Altimio, the police took him to the station and read him his Miranda rights. Although detectives talked to him for hours and showed him evidence, Altimio refused to admit his crimes. Many hours passed before the detectives called it a day. Altimio was taken back to holding. The next day, the police decided to charge him in Buffalo, since that's where the three murders occurred. The statute of limitations was up for all previous rapes he had committed. He was transferred to the jail that following day. When the media released a picture of Altimio Sanchez, many women came forward and said he was their rapist. On January 19, 2007, Altimio Sanchez was indicted by a grand jury. He was arraigned on March 12th. At this point, Kathy still believed her husband was innocent. She would visit and call him often. She also cleared out his 401k to pay for attorney fees. On May 16th, after his lawyer showed him all the evidence the prosecutor had against him, Altimio Sanchez pled guilty to three counts of murder. 
During an interview with detectives on August 3rd, 2007, Altimio admitted that he raped women because he wanted to gain control of his own sexual fantasies. He wanted to be a man. These feelings stemmed from not having control over being sexually abused as a child. On August 15, 2007, Altimio Sanchez was given the maximum sentence of 75 years to life. Altimio had this to say about his sentence. I just wanted to mention that whatever sentence I get today, I deserve. I know I'm going to be spending life behind bars, never to see the streets again. But I did these crimes, and I should pay for these crimes. He would serve his time at the Clinton Correctional Facility in New York. They placed him in the Assessment and Program Preparation Unit due to his high-profile crimes. That was the same place Tupac Shakur and Carl Panzram were imprisoned. Kathy Sanchez eventually filed for divorce. On November 8, 2007, Altimio had another interview with detectives. During this interview, he told detectives he always used the same type of rope. He took the nylon rope you get when you buy lumber and wrapped black tape around it. He said he always wrapped the rope around the victim's neck twice because it gave him better control. After Altimio Sanchez's arrest, the task force immediately got to work on trying to free Anthony Capozzi. When the DNA test results showed that Anthony was not the culprit of the two rapes he was serving time for, he was finally exonerated. Due to Anthony's mental health, he was transferred from prison to a mental health facility. This would serve as a transition to explain to Anthony why he was being released from prison. He was then transferred to an assisted living facility. He sued the state of New York and won $4.25 million for his wrongful conviction. Okay, fan club members, as I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help give the show visibility. You can find us on most social media platforms, Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com slash TCFCPodcast. You can also find us on Instagram, TCFC underscore podcast. And of course, our website is TrueCrimeFanClub.com. If you have an episode request, send us an email, tcfcpod at gmail.com. Audio engineering and custom music for the show was provided by the talented Nico at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or wetalkofdreams.com. This episode was researched and written by Haley Gray. <laughs>